Chelsea Fairless. Hey, Lauren. <laughs> we have tried to record this intro like three times, but we keep talking over each other. But I think we just have to accept that that's going to happen. Because we are not recording this in person and there is a bit of a delay on the computer and we end up talking over each other because you're not in Los Angeles right now. No, I'm up north visiting my parents again, hanging out with dad, you know, family stuff. Very nice. Uh, it, the timing's a little curious because you just moved into a new place and then the next day you were gone. Yeah, well, I booked this trip before I knew I was going to move. So yeah, the timing was fucked. I went from like packing my apartment and like staying up until three every single night to dumping all of my possessions at the new place and then driving to Burbank, the wonderful Burbank airport. If you're going on regional trips and you're not going through the regional airport of Los Angeles, which is Burbank, it's like when I hear people are going to LAX for a flight to San Francisco, it like breaks my heart. Yeah, you're doing it wrong. Burbank is almost perfect. But the one thing that sucks about Burbank is there's only one place to get food and it's Guy Fieri's restaurant. Like he has a restaurant, but then anytime you go to like a place that sells salad or sandwiches to go, it's all Guy Fieri, like the whole airport. You can can't escape it. I just learned this week. You know how Guy Fieri is always like, it's Fieri, it's Fieri. Like he's uh, Bradley Cooper in Licorice Pizza about Barbara Streisand's name. Mm-hmm. His name is Fairy, and he switched it to Fieri. Well, I guess that does sound less gay. Wait, Chelsea, did you know that he grew up in Ferndale in rural Humboldt County? Wait, what? That's like where my mom grew up. (laughs) What the fuck? Uh, Guys, I didn't even know that that was a connection. That's insane. Yeah, Ferndale, it's known for its Victorian houses. They film a lot of like period stuff there. They actually filmed Outbreak there. (laughs) A very underutilized filming location in California would be Humboldt County. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the Rodarte sisters came here, but we still have not seen that movie. That's another thing we need to do on the Patreon is films that we should like that we didn't. I don't know about the Rodarte sisters film, but like there's a reason we haven't watched it in four years. We didn't watch it because the reviews were bad, but it's probably major. Like everyone hated Mother and that was like the best movie we've ever seen. So I don't think we should let the critics dictate our feelings about Woodshock, a film which we should definitely see. I was more thinking recently, looking at the rest of the year calendar for the the Patreon, if we should do Neon Demon, because we saw that together. And I think you truly went into shock when we left the film. I absolutely do not want to do that because that will mean I'll have to watch Neon Demon again. And I don't, I can't do that. I can't do that, Lauren. It's not happening. However, every bad film has something good in it. And I would say for Neon Demon, it is um, Alessandra Novella's impersonation of clearly Tom Ford in the film. Yeah. I mean, that was great. Also, Abby Lee Kershaw, great. And I love to see her act. Like, have you seen Old? I haven't seen Old, but she's in um, Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, I think she's great. I mean, old is kind of incredible. Say what you will about the cinema of M. Night Shyamalan. Whether the movies are like mediocre or good or bad, they're always memorable. And I fucking love him. So I will watch any M. Night movie. And old was pretty major. Also, you are an M. Night stan and apologist, which I just recently learned about you. You didn't know that? No, I also just learned that you say Amazon.com instead of Amazon. Yeah, it's like the one vocal tick that I have that you didn't know about. I don't know. I just got it in a habit like in the late 90s and it stuck. Tat always makes fun of me for that. All right. Shall we talk about the Grammys? Yeah, I think the one nice thing about doing this podcast the day that we do it is we can cover these types of events and it really just delineate down what matters because four days later, what what do we remember of the Grammys? Yeah. I have to say that, you, you know how they say there are two Americas? I really got that with the Grammys when I saw Silk Sonic win every major award. I was like, okay, I guess this is what people listen to. I, I didn't realize yeah, watching the Grammys is weird for me because I'm so out of touch with contemporary music and the Grammys is out of touch with contemporary music in an entirely different way. So the Venn diagram of shit that we actually both appreciate is basically like Justin Bieber's peaches. <laughs> you know, it's wild. I do have to say, I, I did feel slightly uncomfortable in the group chat between Tat, you and I, because you guys were talking about how much you wanted to fuck Justin Bieber that I was like, should I take myself out of this chat? I don't, I feel, I'm feeling weird. Well, like, why do you not want to fuck Justin Bieber? <laughs> I don't actually want to fuck Justin Bieber. I just appreciate male beauty and style and talent when I see it. And that's just attractive to me. Well, you also love men that have lesbian aesthetics, of which he does. Yeah, he's a beautiful person, truly. And he looked so good on the red carpet. Like, that was one of my favorite fashion moments. In general, I think the men really outshined the women because I think the best dressed people were Justin... Lil Nas X, who looked amazing in Ball Man, referencing the dress that our girl Kim K wore to her bachelorette weekend in Paris before her wedding to Kanye. Yeah. Also, you saw what Lenny Kravitz was wearing, right? Oh, he had like heels on? He not only had heels, he was wearing knee-high boots, which I can't wait for people to try to interpret in male style because Lenny occupies a category that's just like whatever he fucking wants and he can pull it off and really no one else can. Yeah, and we all love it. He has such an incredible, distinctive, unique sense of style. He's so fucking cool. He always kills it on a red carpet. Yeah, he was he was great too. And you know who else was great was um, the male half of Kravis, Travis Barker. <laughs> Very chic. Wow, that's some like real Courtney erasure. Well, I think he outdressed Courtney, but you know, they looked very cute as a couple. Love to see them. Which is funny because they're essentially wearing the same thing. I mean, she's wearing a black kind of suited jumpsuit, but I think for you, it was the fuchsia overcoat that did it for you. Yeah, he was wearing like a satin duster or something. I love that. I thought it looked great. Yeah, a lot of the Valentino show that we talked about a few weeks ago, which was like half hot pink, half black, was represented on the on the red carpet as well. People were either yeah. wearing fuchsia or black. Of course. Well, I feel like Versace ultimately dominated the evening between Doja Cat, Dua Lipa, 
who has signed some sort of Versace blood oath, which is great. It looks amazing on her. It does, but can we discuss the red carpet look? Because isn't it time that we retire the like early 90s SM Versace look? Like Versace's doing good work now. I don't know. Maybe not, because I kind of fall for it every single time. Maybe I'm just that simplistic, but for there's something about it to me that just like doesn't get old and still looks great. And I think a big part of the reason that Dua looked so great was also on the glam. It was the bleached hair with the dark eyebrow that like really like tied everything together. But I will say that if we're talking Versace bondage at the Grammys, I don't think anything will ever top Lil Nas X's pink cowboy outfit, which was just utterly perfect, stunning. Well, to go back, the other Versace moment is Dua Lipa and Megan Thee Stallion recreating the infamous Mariah Carey Whitney Houston wearing the same dress at the VMAs bit. Sure. Why not recycle that concept? And then, as if it were the VH1 Fashion Awards from 1997, Donatella Versace came on stage. But are you hating on that? Because isn't this what we want? Like, this is what I want. I want more stupid bits like this. I guess I'm just annoyed that, like, why don't we just have the VH1 Fashion Awards? I mean, this is ultimately what we're trying to get to. Like, if we can't have the Golden Globes, because the Golden Globes are problematic, and as we talked about last week, People, for some reason, are too scared to wear, like, cool looks on the red carpet of the Oscars. Like, let's just have fashion awards again and invite all the people we like, our favorite people from TV, music, movies. That's all we want, just an excuse to see these people dress up. And you know what? That's what they want, too. Well, we should just start our own award show and the celebs will just come rolling in. What was that? Isn't that the plot of Wayne's World 2 when he does, is it Wayne's talk? He does his version of Oh, yeah, if you build it, they will come. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> watch kim k and isabelle pair rock up ah <sighs> that would be fab but the actual show yeah trevor noah pretty good host i would say i wouldn't say that he's the funniest award show host that i've ever seen but there's something about him where he's able to diffuse and neutralize the inherent awkwardness of hosting an award show So it just didn't seem as awkward, I feel like, as an award show tends to feel. Did you feel that way? Yeah, I think he's really good. I don't know if we need, I don't know, after last week's Oscars, I'm not sure we need award show hosts anymore. I don't know if we need the Grammys. Okay. I disagree. We just need to hire, like, better hosts. Like, we just need to not hire Ricky Gervais and shit. Not hire, like... James Franco and Anne Hathaway and hire like people that are actually like funny. Yeah, but it's like the Grammys would never have Cola Scola host. (laughs) And that's a problem. So should we take bets on like how long the shadow is going to be of making jokes in awards about the Will Smith slap? Like obviously they had to address it. It's a week later, but... (laughs) They had to, and I like that they did it at the top of the show. Very, and just like that, in that respect. Like, addressing Samantha straight out of the gate, so we're not just, like, sitting around anticipating it. Yeah, it had to be done. It wasn't, like, the funniest thing they could have done around that, but it did the job. Performances. Did you like anything? I don't. I just feel very old. (laughs) 
I felt scared. I was like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know who these people are. Yeah, we really should never talk about music because it's. I don't think it's a strong suit for either of us. I definitely know what I like, but I don't really feel the need to depart from that. And I don't feel the drive to like discover new music now like I did when I was younger when I was very like on top of things and knew what was going on now I'm just like listening to Tori Amos in my car I know I hate when people are like what what music are you listening to I'm like a playlist that Spotify puts together of like Cocteau twins (laughs) yes Yeah, for sure. There's nothing better to work to than Cocteau Twins because you can't listen to any of the lyrics anyway. So it's just like listening to like Bach or something. But I will say that I love when artists do medleys. Yeah, like Little Nas X did. Yeah, love a medley. I obviously lived for the Sondheim medley. Did you watch that? No. Okay, that was like the best part. And I'm shocked that the Oscars didn't beat the Grammys to the punch on this because it felt way more Oscars than Grammys to have Leslie Odom Jr. and Cynthia Erivo and Ben Platt sing all of these Sondheim songs. Cynthia Erivo and Leslie Odom Jr., Jr., they sang Send in the Clowns, which we talked about on the podcast, which you weren't familiar with, and you're still not familiar with that song. I still think it's associated with the Jerry Lewis film that never got released about him being a clown at a concentration camp. Sounds like a great movie. Um, Yeah, I really love that. That was a high point for me. Nice to see Ben Platt. I'm such a Ryan Murphy stan that I watched The Politician and I even enjoyed it. Although I think for you, that would be like eating glass or something. No, I watched it. That is also a Gwyneth Paltrow husband joint. That's his show. They're producing partners, but that was um, his genius. It has its moments. But also during the In Memoriam section where this Sondheim medley happened was when Virgil Abloh was memorialized as a hip-hop fashion designer. Who knew? Who wrote that? It really does minimize the breadth of his output. And he was a DJ also. He was a musician. That's what I thought it would be, DJ slash fashion designer. Yeah, just fashion designer would do. And it's like... Yeah, he was obviously known for streetwear and bringing streetwear to an established luxury fashion house, but he went out of his way to move into that high fashion world. Like most of the recent off-white shows ended with like a gown section. Yeah, well, I mean, I think a 60-year-old white man wrote that. I think that's the answer for you. Can we talk about Doja Cat being in the bathroom when she won an award? Because not since Christine Lottie at the 1998 Golden Globes has someone nearly missed accepting their award because they were in the bathroom, which, by the way, has been the only time it is okay for someone in the audience to go on stage because... Robin Williams jumped on stage and like vamped for about two minutes while someone ran into the bathroom and got Christine Lottie. That was amazing. That was such an iconic moment in television. But yeah, I thought it was really cute when she won. I also loved her brazen spawn on the red carpet, the likes of which I've never seen before. She had like a bedazzled JBL speaker that looked like a Judith Lieber clutch or something hanging off of her Caperni bag. It was insane. I believe the comedian and writer Emily Heller once went on the red carpet with 
a clutch that said Getty Images on it. Yeah, that was cute. But that wasn't like spawn for Getty Images. That was just like a hilarious joke. But as someone that does spawn, I have to respect it. How much was she paid for that? I mean, they certainly got their money's worth, JBL. Yeah, more more than we're making from Green Chef. <laughs> I noticed that the news was making a big deal about how Billie Eilish didn't win a Grammy. But it's like, if you won an Oscar the week before and the year before you won all of the Grammys, does it matter? No, she didn't need to win one. Yeah, again, if I'm Phineas, my eyes are on Broadway. Let's EGOT before we're 25. <laughs> Yeah, her performance was good. Like that she deserved the nominations, but she didn't need to win. No, and I mean, this is the best revenge. Like not since Alanis Morissette has there been a a sweet revenge over a shitty ex-boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. But just for Diane Warren's mental health, we didn't need her to sweep the Grammys as well. We have yet to talk about Gaga's performance, which I imagine was just she she transported her Vegas jazz show a couple hotels over and just like plopped it in wherever the Grammys were taking place. Yeah, on our chat, Tat was like, why is she moving her body like that? And I had no answer for her because it is like a bot that's watched... 10,000 hours of Judy Garland or Anne Margaret or something. Well, I had to go in the middle of the performance, which went on for quite a while, to make sure, like, Tony Bennett's still alive, right? Well, he is because he introduced the song, but it was kind of awkward because her performance felt like a eulogy. Like, it had the tone of a eulogy because he has Alzheimer's. He's retired from performing. She said that when they were doing their last concert together, he didn't recognize her backstage. I know, but like when Tony Bennett does pass away, there is no doubt in my mind that like she's just going to be performing with a hologram Tony Bennett. Yeah, that's inevitable. Like watch out Coachella 2026. It's going to have the vibe of that album, which also won a ton of a ton of Grammys that Natalie Cole did with her dad. Oh, right. After he had died, which was incredible. But yeah, it's it's very sad. And then what did you think of Billy's red carpet look? It was Rick Owens. Sure. I like this continued placement of Rick on the red carpet. But I think like between last week's look, the Gucci look, this Rick Owens look, I feel like Comb is next. I hope so. That would be amazing. Also, Rick got some incredible placement during the Kardashian ABC special. And by Rick, I mean his furniture. I loved seeing Robin Roberts like sitting in this insane Rick Owens chair. But anyway, we'll get to that in a bit. I think those are all the things we care about. Oh, there is one more thing that I care about, which I saw a glimpse into the future. I saw the glimpse into our future when Bonnie Raitt and Joni <sighs> Mitchell <laughs> introduced Brandi Carlisle. The second I saw Joni in her pleats, please, Izzy Miyake and Bonnie Raitt in her like shiny Armani type jacket, I was like, oh, this is me and Lauren in 40 years straight up I could see myself like continuing to dye my hair in my 60s but just like Rogue and the X-Men just like the two front strands being a shock of white so you're gonna do like a James Eha and just have like that yeah. vibe or like a Stacey London with 
Susan Sontag with just like the one. I mean, you're just describing my later year mood board. (laughs) It was really nice to see Joni. I thought that she had retired from public appearances, although we did get that really adorable photo of her and David Hockney a couple years ago. Also, you know that she has Morgellons syndrome, right? Which is a disease that no one thinks exists or what? It's what is the thing? Basically, people that have Morgellons believe that there are fibers that are extruding from their skin, fibers that often come through sores. But doctors believe that this is a very specific like subgenre of a mental disorder where the person thinks that they're infested with bugs or parasites or something because these people will claim to have these fibers coming out of their bodies and then they'll get them tested and it's like cotton. Sorry to any of our listeners that may have uh, more gallons, but it sounds like the most terrifying Darren Aronofsky thing that could happen to you. It sounds like when we invariably write and direct our woman losing her mind in a fabulous home over a weekend, that our main (laughs) character will have Margellan syndrome. (laughs) Possibly. But we'll call it Margella syndrome. Margella, where where you just get the Margella stitches just appear on the back of your neck. Oh, man. Anyway. What else do we have on in the doc? So we have something we're calling elder millennial culture roundup. These are things that we've <laughs> kind of missed over the last few weeks that only you originally had it as like teen news. And I was like, it's teen news for people our age. Yeah, it's teen news for people in their 30s and 40s. The first of which, and I don't know how we missed this, but last month it was announced that you showrunner Sarah Gamble would be turning the book Wheatsy Bat into a television series. Wheatsy Bat, the cult alt young adult novel by Francesca Leah Block that made a huge impact on Chelsea and myself as adolescents. I'm actually shocked that we've had this podcast for over a year and we're only talking about Francesca Leah Block now because it was such a crucial formative experience because she really captured what it was like to be a teenage girl that felt like an outsider. And I think we both responded to that as teens. Yeah, and I grew up in Los Angeles and she was writing about LA and Laurel Canyon, which is where I grew up in a way that I had felt internally but never saw expressed. Wheatsy Bad, for those that don't know, was published in 1989 and sort of weaves together. I mean, all of Francesca Leah Block's work weaves together kind of disturbed fairy tales in a way, magical realism, queer characters, punk characters... Yeah, but with the crushing realities of present life, like she was talking about AIDS in in Wheatsy Bat, you know, it was just really groundbreaking and cool. And I'm so excited to see this turn into something because it's something that obviously fans of hers have wanted to be a movie for so long. But now that streamers are a thing, it really is perfect. And there was a whole series of books. There was the initial Wheatsy Bat book. I think there were five of them in total. Yeah, there's a collection of it called Dangerous Angels, which has what I will call the Wheatsy Bat extended universe, where every (laughs) 
character got a got a book it's also the first time that i saw captured the alternative art girl who fell in love with her gay best friend only to learn that he was gay but then they all live in a fabulous cottage in the hollywood hills together well the fact that it was even a a young adult novel that had a gay person in it where it was accepted and normal was so cool and so major and a reason why i think a lot of alternative 90s kids connected with those books Yeah, and so for a long time, this has been rumored as a movie project. The last time this came up was in 2018. It was set up to be written and directed by Justin Kelly, who is the director of King Cobra and that very bad JT Leroy film starring Laura Dern and Kristen Stewart. (sighs) Yeah, there's definitely some overlap with JT Leroy and Francesca Leah Block. Like what Francesca Leah Block did for Sunset Boulevard, JT Leroy did for like a shitty truck stop. It turns it into some grand Hollywood fantastical thing. Also, I remember you took me to El Coyote for the first time and I was like, oh my God, it's Wheatsy Bat. That's where Wheatsy Bat takes her gay best friend and his boyfriend and they all get drunk and have sex with each other and Wheatsy Bat gets impregnated. You know, typical young adult novel stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so good. In other young adult novel news, tragic news, The Babysitter's Club has been canceled. Not like canceled by Twitter, but canceled by Netflix, which really sucks. And it's not for the series not being popular. It's just Netflix is now having this habit where they will cancel popular shows after the second season just because I guess what they really focus on is shows that you binge immediately and then kind of forget about instead of shows that have a slow burn and a a committed audience. Well, maybe people don't binge it immediately because like 11 year olds aren't allowed to watch six hours of television straight through unlike desperate single women who are just binging Bridgerton over a weekend it was so good though because they really retained the 80s and 90s nostalgia but they brought it into the present day and it wasn't there was nothing corny about it it was very pure and very good and the cast was great it just it sucks I love that Alicia Silverstone was Christie's mom well did you watch it though Lauren were you a BSC person I am. I have a fondness for the 90s film, which is very problematic when you watch it today. Is it? Why? Stacy, I haven't told you something. I'm coming back next summer. You are? Yeah. I'll be 14. I know. I totally forgot about that. Well, this one was very socially conscious, but it wasn't annoying or forced i mean it was kind of always there because like dawn for example was always like a really hardcore environmentalist but i love the episode of the babysitters club where they staged a protest at their summer camp because they found out that some campers from lower income households weren't allowed to do arts and crafts it was major yeah but it kind of makes sense that they canceled it when the most watched netflix original film is red notice what is that It has Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot, and The Rock in it. And it's truly like they fed an AI all of Deadpool, all of The Rock's films, and all of Wonder Woman, and then like spit back out an action-adventure film. Hate that. That's terrible. But to wrap this up, what BSC character do you most relate to and why? Oh, man. I've deleted a lot of Babysitter's Club information. You tell me. Who am I like? (sighs) 
Claudia? Yeah, I think we're both kind of Claudia. Stacy, I think we might both be Claudia Stacy hybrids. Although you might have a little bit of Christy in you. Although Christy is pretty dikey. And I think that if the show had gone for another season, she would have literally been dikey. Moving on, uh, a few weeks ago, I was doom scrolling on TikTok and came across Courtney Love seemingly reading excerpts from the manuscript of her unpublished memoir. And with TikTok, you never know if these are like old videos from Instagram, a deep fake or what, but it seems to be legit. And it's Courtney getting her hair done and reading unconnected excerpts from her memoir, which sound like this. Okay, so, um, okay, it's Ted Nugent, the blowjob. Um, in my book, um, I didn't know what to do. It would have been the first blowjob I'd given. I was 16, which is the age of consent in Washington State. In Oregon, where the age of consent was 18, I would have been jailbait, which happened to be the title of the song. Anyway, I had to immediately send this to Chelsea because we are both obsessed with the saga of Courtney Love's memoir. Of course. <laughs> Supposed to be titled Girl with the Most Cake. So the backstory is in 2011, Love signed with an imprint of HarperCollins to write the book with Rolling Stone contributor Anthony Baza. It was supposed to be released in 2014. That date came and went. The only news we got was that her ghostwriter sued her for unpaid wages. So he handed in a 123,000 word manuscript gel. I think she needs to bring in Francesca Leah Block to finish the job. The other reason we're obsessed with this is not because because it's never been released it's because she rejected baza's manuscript because it was too confessional and i imagine he was just transcribing conversations he had with love these are all, it's not like he made anything up this is all from things she said and she just read it and was like oh god no there's nothing i want to read more than this book and i felt this way for the last how long has this been going on more than a decade. This is 11 years. Yeah. She did release a book called Dirty Blonde that was like her personal journals and scrapbooks and stuff and like old set lists and, and ephemera and things like that. That was really, really fabulous. But we need the tea. This woman has lived the most insane life. Well, if Angelica Houston's biography was split in two books, it's like Courtney has at least three books. Like there's just a whole book from after Kurt dies, like the movie era, the glam era, the dating Edward Norton, up until the day she got her tits sucked in a Wendy's in 2003. <laughs> Didn't Angelica Houston just have two books because she really needed the money? Well, there's that. And I had that thought once I saw that she was selling all of her old compacts at decades, which unfortunately I did not buy. Yeah. When her husband died, she was not left in the best financial situation. And I will fully admit that the first part of her autobiography is just like her childhood, which is fascinating. She's the daughter of John Houston. But I did pick up the book from when she starts dating Bob Richardson, who would be the father of Terry Richardson, up until she ends the, the memoir. Yeah, that's that's the part that we all care about. Anyway, so hopefully that will uh, happen. And if not, we'll just have to consume the entire book via TikTok. Not a bad way to release a book. In other news, I just saw that the founder of Urban Decay, Wendy Zomnier, has a new beauty brand. And I have to give Wendy props because Urban Decay, when it first came out, was so major like do you remember those ads lauren that just said does pink make you puke i mean it does so <laughs> that spoke to me i mean everyone i think who listens to this podcast is our age but if there's any 
younger listeners. I mean, we would not have like Pat McGrath's metallic-y glitter eyeshadows. That truly would not exist without Urban Decay. I feel like that was the first time I saw that. Well, Urban Decay and Hard Candy came out around the same time. And they completely changed beauty forever because before that point, it wasn't commonplace to have a nail polish that wasn't pink or red or a neutral. Like it was like insane the fact that they were even making metallic green or baby blue nail nail polish or something well it's all of the things right it's the the hues and the colorways that they offered but also just how cheeky and fun and ironic the packaging could be which now if you don't have cool different packaging you kind of can't exist in the beauty world it was also the names it was also the fact that they were naming these colors like insane shit like jailbait i think that was hard candy but you know what i mean so this new label, what is it about? It's called Cali Ray. Yes, and the subtitle is Beauty, Body, and Wellness, which is so not Urban Decay. I was very upset about this. Wait, but there's a tagline that says the Californian three-way coming in hot, which is how I would describe you, Tad, and I. <laughs> I don't know. It kind of depresses me. I mean, a lot of the packaging is pink. So that is an inherent contradiction to the original Urban Decay. But I get it. We can't be angsty teenagers forever. No, but this speaks to a a Gen X journey that has disheartened us through multiple Gen X icons, which is just like these punk, yeah, Gen X icons becoming incredibly basic as they get older. Yeah, this is the Drew Barrymore of makeup. Although they do have candles and one of them is called Cannabitch. And that feels a little closer to original Urban Decay. Although, of course, weed is also now entered into the wellness lexicon. So this and the concept of clean mascara. I see that the <laughs> mascara is called Come Hell or High Water. Okay. Little Urban Decay, but... You know, it's a lot of gradients and stuff. It doesn't feel like yeah. super distinctive within the landscape of makeup now in the way that Urban Decay did. Like these eyeliners, like Urban Decay would be like, you could go to a punk show and go to a job and like it wouldn't smudge. Now their eyeliners are surf proof pencils. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> I love that we're definitely the only podcast that is covering this, but that's what sets us apart, guys. <laughs> So we've been trying to make this interview happen for a minute, but this week our schedules finally aligned. You may remember him as the really nice straight guy that called into our hotline a few weeks ago. Luke, welcome to the pod. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, Chelsea and Lauren. Thanks for having me. I feel like this is this is the end of a trilogy of of experiences on the podcast. So I'm, I'm glad to be here to close the loop. Well, we're thrilled to have you. You are such an icon on our podcast that you only have one name like Cher or Madonna, but I'm sure you have a last name. So what is it and where are you located? My full name, official name is Luke Ferris, like the wheel or like Bueller. And we live in a little town called Holland, Michigan, next to Lake Michigan, outside of Chicago. And I think our claim to fame is Sufjan Stevens went to college here. So Ooh. that's pretty much it. As an elder millennial, I uh, I appreciate that reference. <laughs> so for the benefit of our listeners, I want to say that Luke is very handsome in a clean cut sort of way. You look like you could have gone to Harvard with Colin Jost or something. Like oh, I'm getting wow. that vibe. Wow, that's, that's a big honor because I feel like I have a punchable face as well <laughs> to connect with Colin. 
But <laughs> I know I'm probably closer, and I hate to say this, I'm probably closest to the Aiden demographic, uh, being a heterosexual male that's white and above six foot. So <laughs> unfortunately, I'm going to have to uh, claim that. Yeah. That's cool. Lauren loves a tall guy. Just saying. <laughs> So, Luke, tell us a little about yourself. We hear that you also have a podcast. Yes, I have a podcast. It's a rewatch podcast of the film franchise Jurassic Park, this little franchise that uh, Steven Spielberg started. I started it because I was fascinated that people liked Jurassic Park still, that they were still making movies. So it's an investigative journey uh, as we ramp up to the, the new movie coming out this summer. So I do that and then I write and freelance creative stuff on the side. Very cool. This sounds like nerd shit, but I actually do really love Jurassic Park. And I love how in every single movie, they make a Jurassic Park and then the dinosaurs start killing people. And then they come to the conclusion like, we can't fuck with nature. We're never going to make another park. And then they just make another park. Exactly. And not to get too deep in the weeds on here, I, but it's, it was fascinating to me because unlike other big franchises that have kind of the typical action hero or the hero's journey. There's no real like villain and hero that has, is, has the continuity through all the films. Uh, it's kind of just a, a group of people that go through that experience that you just described. So it's, it's really fascinating that year after year, we still have fans and we're still making Jurassic Park movies. So what do you think about Julianne Moore's bizarre casting in The Lost World, though? Because that oh seems gosh. like, that surprised me. That's a very different part of her IMDb filmography. No, but that's like in the era, right? In that where, era. Where she's doing, like, she's doing Assassin, she's doing Jurassic World. Like, she wants an apartment in New York, okay? Yes. <laughs> and, and Vince Vaughn is also in that one. So they, they were kind of like the hot new stars. It's interesting because the character that she plays in the lost world the book character is so much better so they kind of it's it'd be interesting if they actually had that character reflect the book she's much more damsel in the stress in the movie whereas the book she's basically running the show like she goes and saves everybody so it's 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 an interesting casting choice because i think it would have worked if they would have stuck to what the book character is well, thank you for coming on and educating <laughs> us about this i'm sure your demographic really wants and listeners really want to learn more about jurassic park I think Jurassic Park appeals to a very broad demographic, which somehow includes me. So I'm sure there's I'm sure there's some people that give a shit. But I also want to hear from your wife, Audrey, who is the person who turned you on to our podcast. Mm. Thank you for being here, Audrey. And what do you think of Luke's newfound fame? Thanks for having me, you guys. It's been a whirlwind, to be honest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like oddly probably the most surreal thing that's ever happened in my life and it didn't happen to me so that makes it more <laughs> surreal <laughs> no but I love it I mean he really does deserve it as you can probably Aww. already tell he's a very likable guy that's Thank sort you. of the story of my life and I complain kiddingly because I mean I get it I I would be a fan too if I hadn't met him so She'd like Aww. me more if she had never she hadn't met me. She'd like me more on the outside no. of peripheral. No. <laughs> but speaking of which, how'd you guys meet? Ooh, this is a this is a great meet cute. Um, I do you want to start because I feel I like the, say, the, the story has two different stories has changed and there's there's gaps in the story. So I'll let you start. Well, okay. So we've been together for about ten years. Well, ten years, yeah. Yes. We met in college, so we went to the same uh, university. We went to Michigan State, 
and we lived in the same dorm our freshman year. It's very cute, but not not really because we did we met, we knew each other for a year. Nothing really going on. We both were begrudgingly taking college algebra and failing mm. and we were both in like a tutoring class together and we would doodle notes to each other like hey and he would scribble back on my notes and then I did ask her on a study date quote yeah. unquote and there was no <laughs> studying happening and I, I wanted to get to know her and ask questions but we both passed the class surprisingly we pass. barely passed the class because we were not studying the second half of that semester no. <laughs> did you invite that teacher to your wedding uh, no, I, I think he was a GA, and yeah. uh, I obviously was not paying attention to him. I don't even remember who it was. <laughs> well, that's completely adorable, and so you're totally cool with Lauren maybe breaking up your marriage then? No, I feel really good about it. I mean, I knew the Jurassic Park stuff was going to come up, and I won't lie, I zoned out through that conversation, and the fact that you were willing to talk to him was great. Yeah, I have to be honest, Chelsea, like, you're putting the onus on me, but, like, you have been thirsting after Luke a lot more than I have, I just want to say. Audrey, are you okay with Chelsea breaking up your marriage? <laughs> You can come live with me. Well, I'm sure Luke would like to know that The Lost World was actually filmed where I am right now. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Down the street from my parents' house. That's a a good offer. Wow. I could give you the tour, Luke. (laughs) (laughs) That's where Jeff Goldblum walked, and that's enough for me. Well, I guess lastly, Luke and Audrey, I mean, you both have agency in this. Are you guys cool that we now use Luke as a blanket statement for our straight male listeners? And like, how does it feel to represent your people like this, Luke? Mm, I'm really excited to be represented. And you can use the name Luke. It's a great name. Uh, shout out to Nettie Ferris for naming me Luke. But I'm excited because I, I really, it's been fun because I have been watching Sex and the City off and on since we met. Like, you know, I'll poke my head in while Wait, she's Audrey, watching you're it. shaking your head. What, it, what, what, okay. what does that mean? So that is so not true. Off and Luke, on. That no, like... no, Luke does not watch Sex in the City. He did watch And Just Like That with me. <laughs> Ever since your podcast came out, he has gotten interested because he likes listening to you guys, which I am very thankful for you both because now we can talk about it together. And since he became famous in your eyes... Mm. He has said, let us watch Sex in the City from episode one. We're on season three. We just went to LA with the ladies. And so this is very exciting because it never would have happened without you. So I'm very thankful. The second movie is making a lot more sense now. I mean, it's all coming together. (laughs) I I like started with like episode one in Star Wars. That that was like basically what I did. Yeah, you're the person that we talk about, which is the the person that just started watching and just like that with no yeah. reference point no to context Sex in the at City. All. Well, it's yeah, it's so funny because Luke's like, you know, Steve is kind of lame, right? And then we're watching, and he's like, I think Steve is the hero. You know, yeah. he's always Steve's there. He always believes in her. Him. He takes her as she is. He's funny. Luke's like, he's got great arms. Great we arms. We love Steve. So it's fun, like getting the full circle backwards with him. Yes, Luke, they did Steve dirty. <laughs> yeah, he gets it now. So <laughs> long story short, I'm very honored and you can use it. There's... And I'm less bitter. I, you know, I heard myself on the, on the call and I thought, oh my God. <laughs> oh, you didn't come across as bitter. Imagine how we feel after we upload these episodes. I mean, 
I was, to be honest, a little upset. I was jealous. But at this point in time, I'm really happy. And he's a great guy. So he deserves it all. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So thank you guys for coming on and being so game. Luke, plug your podcast. Where can we listen to it? It's Jurassic Pod anywhere, wherever you get your podcasts and wherever you listen. Or you can follow me at Luke H. Ferris. The H is for handsome. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, guys. Thank you. All right, we're back with a little bit of fashion news. The famed fashion photographer Patrick de Marchelier passed away on March 31st. He was 78. De Marchelier was in an era of photographers who worked in the 80s and 90s whose work spanned the worlds of celebrity and fashion. Like I think of Mario Testino, Peter Lindbergh. However, for some reason, de Marchelier has always had a pop culture cachet that none of his other contemporaries ever had. So Chelsea and I thought it would be fun to do a little segment called Things You May Not Know or Have Forgotten About Patrick de Marchelier. Okay, first thing, he shot the album cover for Madonna's Bedtime Stories album, which was so major. She had a nose ring. This photo shoot was legendary. This was the first Madonna album that I bought. I remember I got it at Sam Goody in Canada. I suppose if our listeners would know Patrick de Marchelier, it would be because he was Carrie's Vogue bridal photographer in Sex and the City One during that editorial scene. Yes, he was. I should have put that on the Instagram account, but I forgot to. Oops. He's also the photographer in the Mariah Carey Obsessed video, which is pretty cute. He also shot the iconic Princess Diana photo from 1990 of her in the tiara. He was one of her favorite photographers. See, I always thought that was Mario Testino. I really get confused as to who did what. Here's another thing is while trying to do this segment, Chelsea and I continued to confuse him with other photographers work. I'm like, isn't he the one that shot the iconic black and white early 90s supermodel photo? She said, no, that's that's Peter Lindbergh, who's also dead. Anyway, he was featured prominently on cycle 15 of America's Next Top Model. I love that they convinced us to use the word cycle instead of season, and we still do it. I think he's also most notably referenced in The Devil Wears Prada in this scene. Did DeMarchelier confirm? DeMarchelier? Did he get him on the phone? And I think he was picked over Testino or, you know, anyone else just because his name is super French and it was to prove how out of her depth Anne Hathaway's character was on her first day. Yeah, totally. So maybe this is why we didn't post about Patrick Demacholier on the Instagram account because in 2018, he was accused by seven models who worked with him of sexual harassment. In response to the allegations, Condé Nast announced, we have informed Patrick we will not be working with him for the foreseeable future. The foreseeable future was four years because he just passed away. I didn't even know about this, which is insane because I know that Bruce Weber and Mario Testino were canceled obviously, but I had no idea about this. But I also just, I mean, not to give him a pass, but don't we think that pretty much all photographers at that level have been doing sus shit for years? Like you even see that sort of portrayal of a playboy fashion photographer in like blow up or something. Or even the, who do we think that Carrie's boyfriend in season four, when she does the runway show, who do we think that's based on? Because his styling kind of looks like Bruce Weber with like the trench coat and the bandana. Mm, But I think he was supposed to be someone that was a little more heroin chic. Like I think he was supposed to be like Mario Sorrenti or something. Right. 
or like some combination of like Mario Sorrenti and like someone that did more documentary stuff, like a Nan Golden or something. Anyway, we shouldn't speak ill of the dead. R.I.P. Patrick DeMarchelier. All right, it's time to Kardash. Kardash, a holics anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. <laughs> so, should we start with the ABC interview with the Kardashians? Sure. What did you think? Um, there wasn't really much more to the interview than the segments that were released before this interview aired. Yeah, there was no meatiness to it. Well, also, I didn't know who it was for because the majority of this hour-long special are just talking heads, filling in the blanks and providing commentary. And sadly, Chelsea and I were not two of those people. I think we're a little too unfamous for that, but maybe in a couple of years we could be on the level of random internet person or writer that would be considered for such an important job. It's half an in-depth, quote-unquote, in-depth interview with them, but then another half is a commentary by these talking heads for people who kind of don't know them. Because if you're watching the interview like we are, we want to hear them talking. Yeah, it was for people that don't know who they are, but... It was very Kim heavy, as it should be. But I would say that it was 75% Kim, 20% Chris, and maybe 5% Courtney, Chloe. Yeah, well, to be fair, 20% of it is only them being interviewed, and 80% is filler. Yeah, I mean, look, it's this is now going to be the funnel of how they do press, right? The show is on Hulu. Hulu is owned by Disney. Disney owns ABC, so that's kind of where they're going to be doing press from now on yeah but robin roberts did the interview she didn't really ask the hard questions i think the hardest question she asked she asked kim to clarify her statement about no one wanting to work and she asked chris about caitlin which i feel bad that chris has to forever answer this question because she's obviously so over it yeah and she's kind of like yeah when we see each other we see each other and it's fine yeah But I think the ellipses was like, I don't really see her that often. Yeah. I thought the weirdest part of it was the segment when they were talking about the Kardashians and what they've done to change the beauty standard because it had this really weird tension because they were talking about how they've changed the beauty standard in a positive light. Yeah. And while they acknowledge the like two procedures the Kardashians have admitted they've had done, which was like Chloe admitted she got a nose job and then... Kylie and the lip fillers and none of the people commenting talked about like yeah but they've done a lot of things to change their bodies yes that that very much did go unacknowledged also the one thing that I learned was that I guess Chloe and Tristan are officially over had we got confirmation on that before because I wasn't sure if they were still in some demented you're having a baby with another woman and we're not married but we're trying to have another baby dark place I guess that more has to do with our lack of trust and faith in Chloe to actually leave Tristan yeah I mean it's very sad I love Chloe but that was awkward how Robin was like how's Poosh how's how's good American going and they were like yeah it's good and then that was like five seconds 
Anyway, they also appeared on Jimmy Kimmel later in the evening, and it was Kendall, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, and Chris. So and everyone except Kylie. And I gotta say, I don't think they should do group interviews like that ever, 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 because it highlights how incredibly boring and awkward they are. The, the genius of the reality show is it somehow works. And when you take them out of that context, you're like, why is this so popular? Yeah, well, because they're being themselves on the reality show. And I don't think any of them are necessarily like excited to go on Jimmy Kimmel. You know, they're not getting anything from it. It's just like something that they have to do. Well, it's... I remember whatever that Barbara Walters special was years ago, Chloe got a lot of flack for this when she said, I think it's more work to be yourself. And this is a testament to that because it's hard to be entertaining on a talk show. It is. It takes yeah. a certain type of skill set that they don't have. And you can tell this because Jimmy Kimmel, it's like he's entertaining a toddler because every minute there was a new bit. Like he presented Courtney with plates that had images of her and Travis. I think right. I would I would say the highlights of this interview segment was that Kim revealed because Jimmy Kimmel showed an image of Pete and Kim kissing in that Aladdin Jasmine sketch from SNL where she was like, oh, that's the first time we ever kissed. And Jimmy goes, oh, where is that rug? And she goes, funny, you should say that on Valentine's Day, Pete gave her the costumes, the genie bottle and the rug from that sketch. Oh, that's cute. In a Disney adult kind of way. And then the other revealing piece was that Courtney had intended to actually get married in Vegas after the Grammys, but was told that they couldn't get access to a marriage license in the middle of the night. It's hard for me to imagine that she would sacrifice her big day for a shotgun wedding in Vegas, because I imagine that Courtney and Travis are going to have like some sort of week long Tim Burton inspired affair. I don't know. I don't know if you have friends getting married this summer, but I've been on the receiving end of how stressful this process is. And a lot of my friends have been like, fuck it. Let's just get eloped. I have four friends getting married this summer, Lauren, and they're all in June. I know. You are straight out of some uh, rom-com starring Katherine Heigl in 2009. For sure. In other news, Kanye dropped out of Coachella, which he was headlining. And he had threatened for a while, but finally pulled the trigger a week before. The thing that I found the most interesting is the weekend will be filling in for him, but the weekend almost just pulled out of Coachella as well because he learned he was getting paid way less than Kanye. And he said, I will not perform unless I'm getting Kanye's check, which I think for the fact that they got him at last minute, they have to give him what they were going to pay Kanye. That seems fair. You know, he's doing Kanye's job for him. Someone has to perform. But do we know why he dropped out? Kanye being Kanye. Like, is that he's having some sort of breakdown or like, was the stage not ready in time? Like Adele shit, you know? Well, a few days before this came out, there was a page six story that he was taking time to potentially get help. And then Kanye's rep was like, unless you hear that from Kanye, that isn't true. So I don't I don't know what's going on. I do know that that 50 million dollar house in Malibu he bought, he is completely gutted, which is insane. Why not just build a house from scratch at that point? Another thing that happened this week, there's a new Skims campaign and Kim recruited a lot of former Victoria's Secret angels for this, including Tyra Banks and Heidi Klum. Genius. 
Yeah, people already have uh, are shitting on this campaign because it's like, well, those are models. Like that doesn't represent everyone's body. It's like, okay. Yeah, but I mean, Tyra Banks is not like rail thin anymore. You know, there was a bit of body diversity in the campaign. And I thought that was cool. And it's just fun to see someone beat Victoria's secret at their own game like that. Uh, I believe they're VS now. So wait, Lauren, I asked you to calculate this earlier. Oh, yeah. I want to know how many days we've been talking about skims on the podcast and yet still have not been added to their PR list. The first podcast episode was February 28th, 2001. So it has been 403 days. We are still not on the skims PR list. What do we have to do? I know. We also didn't get that invite to whatever promotional thing for the Kardashians that happened at Nobu Malibu yesterday that somehow took the concept from the Met Gala and put all of Kim's outfits from the Met, actually, in like these little white cubicles, glass cubicles. Yeah, well, all of the Kardashians had their own room. And like, was this through the hotel or the restaurant? Like, I couldn't figure it out. I know. I was looking at this at random influencers who weren't us that were invited to this event. Not bitter at all. Anyway, just keep us in mind, Hulu, for your future activations. We have vocal fry and monotone voices just like them. (laughs) We speak their language. We wear their shapewear. When it is in stock in our sizes. That's the other beef I have with Kim's, which is like, stop doing new releases until you can consistently have product in your other categories, okay? I need the everyday shirts to be restocked. Okay, so we've reached the end of Kardashian stuff. So that's it. Chelsea, are you coming back? Are we going to be in person next week? I miss you. Yes, we're going to be in person next week. Thank God. I hate doing this over Zoom. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. We've got the hotline. Please feel free to leave any questions and comments there. Yeah, I think we're going to do a show soon that's just hotline calls because I have some good ones saved up. So yeah, anything, guys. Relationship questions, fashion questions, personal questions. (laughs) All right. See you next week. See you next week, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.